I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to the Poisoner's Cabinet. I'm Sinead. And I'm Nick. And this is your weekly podcast looking at the lives of the great poisoners and great poisonings over the centuries and creating curious cocktails inspired by the tales that we tell. And we are on episode six. You know, I actually, while you were doing that intro, I actually had to think what number we were on. Yeah, I was thinking the whole time. The whole time. <laughs> whole time so talking, many I was numbers. like, what number what is number it? Is it's number six. number six. number six. It's number six. And this is slightly disorientating uh, hmm. this week because we are recording remotely. We are in lockdown. We are in lockdown, people. This is not a drill. End of days, bitches. <laughs> Nick is in his house. I'm in my house. We are recording this on Zoom as well. It's um, it's very weird. <laughs> it's very weird. Because I'm just staring straight at you. But that's what we normally do. Yeah, I know, but normally there's... To a... be fair, we're normally across a table this is true, staring this is at true. each other. But it, it seems weirder. So yeah, we might... We'll see if we can release this video somehow. If we can release the video, then a little extra content. No, people know I drink. <laughs> How are you, Nick? Um, peculiar. And in my house, and not allowed to leave my house, which is very strange. <laughs> but I, healthily, I'm fine. I'm I have no illnesses. Still in a strange situation that we all are in at the moment. Yeah, it's weird. Um, so no poisonings this week. No, no, none, none yet. Not yet, but soon. <laughs> um, hopefully <laughs> well, it's, none at all. It's hopefully not. And considering this is actually only my this is my first full day on lockdown, and I'm already going slightly insane. Really? See, I'm I'm enjoying lockdown. I'm uh, quite enjoying it. I've got a little routine going. I get up, I do my yoga, I go to my desk, I do a little lunchtime exercise, and I thrive in lockdown. I, I quite enjoy my own company though. Well, so I I think I think after a, a couple of days, once I'm used to this a new <laughs> routine, I'm sure it'll be fine. Getting up this morning, going, I'm not going to work. I you do. are a creature of habit, Nick. I am. I'm very much, very much, and it is very peculiar not to be doing normal routines. But as you say, things will become normal, and then I'll never want to leave the house again. <laughs> I should point out I'm married as well. My <laughs> husband is here, and he's there. Please, darling, come down. <laughs> I've not seen you in days. <laughs> Our cats need food. My children need wine. <laughs> you don't have children. No, I have cats. They are my children. You have the cat children for the last time, Nick. Do you feed they... wine? Yes. I have raised them well. <laughs> Can't argue with that. <laughs> My cats will drink wine. They drink wine and they eat liqueurs. <laughs> okay, we're rambling quite a lot now. Yes, because we're disorientated. <laughs> anyway, so Nick, are you ready to drink cocktails and talk about poison? Always. Or drink poison and talk about cocktails? Less tempting. Fair enough. 
So episode six, it is your story this week, Nick. It is my story. It's been quite exciting. So I've gone with something slightly more modern than my previous say attempts, but no, that's the wrong word. My previous tales. A modern tale. So as ever, we have our secret ingredient that is inspired by the tale that Nick is going to tell and will inspire the cocktail that we will enjoy as we hear his story. And the secret ingredient this week, Nick, is... Is tea. Oh, how British! How desperately, desperately English. Very, very English. Tea! And I'm, and I'm sure from that some people will have guessed, because this, this is another one that has been um, uh, requested by... It was. ...someone on Instagram this particular individual um so yes there are people out there screaming in joy i'm sure i really hope they are because if everyone else is in lockdown then they they can fully fully be standing up going yes yes absolutely if you know it just knocking tables over and jumping up but tea oh tea tea a delightful beverage delightful but in a cocktail hmm in a cocktail yeah and also i mean because lockdown situation rather limited of the ingredients so this one i have created myself from things that were in the cupboard so I have made my own cocktail you've, this time. You've gone rogue. I've gone rogue. Nick has gone rogue, everyone. Yeah, not my not a usual classic that I would go for. I have crafted my own cocktail. So this is a Nick Gordon original creation. Oh, I believe so, yes. <gasps> gasp. So gasp and terror and horror um, and wonder. And okay, well, fact, well, hopefully just uh, wonder, not terror and horror. Hopefully just wonder. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm slightly intrigued about how you're going to re- recreate this in your own home because I'm not there. Every week when uh, we create the cocktails, as you all know, we are usually together in the same room. Nick goes away, the master mixologist that he is, uh, creates this lovely cocktail, and then I get to enjoy it and judge him for it. This week, the tables have turned. Um, (laughs) Nick is going to be able to make this cocktail, which is his own creation. You did not tell me this beforehand. Some (laughs) random shit that he has made up, he's going to make and sip and go, "Mm, delicious, and I'll be here having a nervous breakdown. I'm sure, yeah. Does it have a name? I have. I have named it. I have named it. What are you smirking at? Please make it something to do with teabagging. I have not made it something to do with teabagging. <laughs> I didn't. No, I okay, leave fine. that to you. You know, I hand you comedy gold and you throw it back in my face. That's fine. I've I have named it a quarantini. <laughs> I thought it was a brilliant name. A quarantini. Okay, I hate to break it to you, Nick. A lot of quarantinis currently circulating on the internet now. Yeah, everyone's saying we're having a. Quarantini. I'm sure there are, but this is my version of it. This is a mar- based on a martini okay. that has tea in it. So there you go. Many, many boxes Wait, ticked. So you've just made a martini with tea in it. <laughs> oh, sorry. Does it have more mystery than that? <laughs> it's based on a martini. Ooh, what a magical tale you were telling yes. to take us on. So it's a martini. It <laughs> quarantini. I don't believe you're taking this seriously. Tea-ni was... Tea. See, tea-ni. Emphasis on the tea. So quarantini. I don't know. I think tea bagging would have been better. Okay, well, you can call your cocktail tea bagging. Well, what else are you going to do on lockdown? I will enjoy my tea bagging. Um, I will have a nice beverage. So, talk us through the quarantini and what I have to do to recreate it. Okay, uh, gin. Gin. I have One gin. and a half parts gin. 1.5 parts gin. And then um, half vermouth. Half a measure of vermouth. Dry. Dry. And then I've gone for three quarters of cold tea. Okay. And then three quarters of a tea liqueur that you bought me. What? It's been sitting in the cupboard for many years. No, I don't have tea liqueur. Well, How the then hell you're... am I going to make tea liqueur? I have to improvise. Is that what you're yes, saying? Yes, exactly. Improvise. 
That is that is not helpful, Nick. <laughs> so I mean, essentially, if I don't have this tea liqueur, I've just got I've got vodka. No, sorry, gin, gin, martini, and just tea. Yeah, just tea. That sounds foul. Oh, it's going to be better. Well, just you've you've built this entirely around a liqueur that I have had no no chance of having in my house. Yes. So, yeah, okay, well, fine. <laughs> I will. Okay, I'm going to have to improvise. What what can I make? Okay, so it's a tea liqueur. I don't, I'm trying to think yep. what the fuck I've got in my house that has got that's that's a, so it's going to be sweet, hasn't it? You know, yeah, um, yeah, sweet as well. Well, you we could use a bit of sugar. Have you got any no, lemon? No, no, you know what, Nick? Okay, trust me. Okay, no, I'm going to leave it to you. You make the quarantini as it should be made. I will go to the kitchen now and pray for me and bring <laughs> back something. So we'll have one of our famous pauses. Oh, yes. To shake up a storm. Absolutely. And we will see you shortly. Catch you in a bit. And we're back. Hello. So, Nick, the quarantini. Yes. You have created your quarantini with your special liqueurs, which I was not privy to. I have. It is here. Okay. Give it a go. Pardon me. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. You've made a cocktail. cocktail. I didn't say it was was an excellent cocktail. The first Nick Gordon original cocktail, you're like, oh, it's all right. <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not dreadful. It's not going to end up winning competitions. We're being subjected to your various experiments of sadness in quarantine. <laughs> Shush. Did you come up with anything better? I, you know what, Nick? You know what? You threw me a curveball with your tea-based liqueur. I, I have played a blinder. What have you, what I have have you come up with? pulled it out of the bag. Okay, I've made two. Nice. Um, because one I was going to try and screw you with. When I was down there, I was looking for liqueurs I had. And I had Sipsmith Summer Cup, which perfect. is a liqueur perfect. with Earl Grey tea in it. Perfect, Earl Grey perfect, tea! Perfect, perfect, There it is, in this martini. Boom! Thank you very much. I win everything that is to do with tea. I, yeah. What does it, what does it taste like? Okay, right. Well, I have it here. <laughs> it, looks like, it looks like the same colour as yours. Okay, so I'm going to sip. I'm going to sip. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that's no. Yeah, at least, at least my one was like, hey, it's all right. Oh, it's, I mean, it's fine. I'm not saying it's awful. It's just, oh, it's just, it's pretty much pure alcohol. Oh, yeah, and well, that's tea. what martini is, isn't it? So I made it, I made it with the gin and the vermouth and the tea. And then I put the same measure, as you said, in of yeah. the summer cup. But I don't think it's got enough sugar in it. It's it's just like a martini, um, just not a particularly sexy one. But yeah. I thought ahead. I thought ahead. And you made another one. I made another one because I forgot that I had the summer cup. And I thought, yay, that's a blinder. So I have the, you know, the that's classic here. glass of gin. Which is kind of, mm, no, 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 no. Here it Ooh, is. What is this? A slightly darker colour. So what I did, I did gin. Mm. I did vermouth. Yeah. I did tea. Yeah. For the liqueur. Yeah. Kalua. <laughs> Why? Why would just, you do that? Because I went, screw it, screw it. I need a liqueur. I'm going to put it in there. It's got coffee in it, coffee, tea. Let's have them fight in a glass and see what happens. That sounds desperately unpleasant. <laughs> it sounds awful. It sounds awful and I'm going to drink it. Okay, I'm going to try it. I'm going to call this the Quaffintini. Okay. <laughs> the Quaffintini. Okay, I'm going to try it. 
I prefer that. Really? Because <laughs> it, it's really strong alcohol, but you get a bit of a sweetness with the coffee. It's just such a completely <laughs> stupid mix of flavors. That's mm. But put them together and somehow it all works out fine. <laughs> Right. It's. I would not recommend anyone make this no. or drink it at home. Um, you know what? It's not bad. Yeah, I'll stick with mine. I think. Well, I don't know. I cannot say that. I have not tried it. I think. I think I've got Kahlua in the cupboard. It's a second sipper, but Kahlua, Kahlua can do no <laughs> wrong. So I've basically got two martinis, uh, of varying degrees of deliciousness. But I'm going to drink them both. So. Well, Ooh, I say I have me. martini and cider, which is an excellent combination. <laughs> And I know there's a bottle of open red wine around the corner as well. So, <laughs> Is it around the corner in your house or just on the street, Nick? No, no, it's around the corner from where I'm sitting. <laughs> just there's a street corner where people are gathering now and leaving bottles of wine for the desperate. That's where you <laughs> yeah, go at night. Yeah, exactly, that's where I am. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a fun episode. And it's not my episode, so I can get as drunk as I like. Yeah, go for it, absolutely. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, we have our quarantinis in hand. We're ready. We're prepped. We're in lockdown. We're ready for a story, Nick. We're ready for a story. So we have tea. What are you going to hit us with? Well, I think unsurprisingly to many people, we are talking about the teacup poisoner. <gasps> Gasp, tea shock, cup horror. Poisoner. Teacup poisoner, indeed. Teacup poisoner. Also known as Graham Young. Graham Young. Graham Young. Now, I have heard of Graham Young, 
purely because this was a listener submission. Yes. Um, they sent through. I had a quick glance. Didn't didn't go into the story because the Nick because uh, Nick chose to do it. Um, but all I know, Graham Young, teacup poisoner, teacup poisoner. Sounds like such a magical person. Of <laughs> yes um not perhaps quite so magical you say teacup poison and i do think of some sort of like mad hatter character like from victorian england sort of <laughs> doing something just stirring the tea uh, exactly yes. something something like that another um, biscuit mother some more um, dodgy no that's not the case it's not the case because i genuinely did think that he 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 was going around with a special teacup and was poisoning people with it by hitting them over the head and then pouring arsenic down their throat. Possibly making up crazy things. <laughs> it's, it's quite it's quite possible. So Graham Young was born in September 1947. Uh, so relatively much more modern than the stories we've covered so far. Ooh, very modern. Um, we are well into post-Victorian. Well, into, well, well <laughs> into the 20th century. Almost halfway. We're post-post-Victorian. We're nearly at the Queen Elizabeth. Living, living memory for not for me, but for some people. No one who listens to this. No podcast. one who listens to this podcast. This is true, actually. <laughs> no yes. One. Though my dad listened to this podcast, he would. He would. Oh, was your dad? Is, is how old was your dad in nineteen forty? Well, no, he wasn't born in forty-seven. He was alive when this case was going on. Oh yes, no, sorry, because he was born yeah. in nineteen forty-seven. So Graham, no, Graham Young was born in forty-seven. Oh, oh no. So well, well up to date. Well up to date. Um, so back to Graham. So Graham was born, yes, yeah, 7th of September 1947 um, in Neasden, Middlesex, which is just just outside London, um, for people who don't know the UK, so just outside London, um, who was convicted for, for the murder of three people um, and it, through poisoning. And it was only through a lot of luck that it wasn't a lot higher. Ooh. His mother died of tuberculosis when he was only three months old. Um, and his father Fred um, really struggled looking after such a young young son. He did have an elder sister as well, but again, at that point, only two three years old. So uh, Fred, father, was really struggling. Um, and Graham was sent to live with his aunt and uncle, um, Winnie and Jack. Winnie and um, Jack. And Winnie and Jack, good name for aunt and uncles. Classic aunt and uncle names in the classic 50s. aunt and uncle. Yep, didn't have children of their own, so. And by the sounds of it, absolutely doted on, on Graham, and he was incredibly happy there. Um, well, so good, a good childhood then. Uh, well, yeah, but uh, quite a. He was only there till he was three. <laughs> you really set the scene there, like, oh, it's great. He was very happy there for two minutes. But even at three years old, you you get very attached to the person who is your caregiver, and there's, there's, so Winnie was the only mother he ever knew. So he's going to be incredibly attached to to, to Winnie. When he was three years old, um, his father remarried, um, and Graham returned to his father and his new wife or his new stepmother i mean to be honest we don't know a huge amount about his what life was like in the young household um there were certainly no reports of anything nasty going on it was just a, a normal everyday house in the 50s um working class 50s 50s house but the thing was that graham was very solitary even at such a young age he didn't enjoy spending time with children his own age at nursery and the school and things like that he much preferred spending time by himself um and he didn't play didn't play well with others and just had no interest in making friends or yet yeah, playing playing with others um when he was old enough to read and things like that and go to the library to pick his own books and things he always favored true crime murders stories of murderers his hero at such a young age was dr crippen um and he would forever be yeah getting books um sensationalist accounts of true murders and true crime from 
from the past. A lot of our listeners now are just sort of looking furtively <laughs> around, going, and that's a bad thing. It is. Why? Well, bad thing now, probably not so much. I mean, my Google history, for heaven's sake, God, it's um, I'm probably on a watch list or something. The amount of stuff I Google at the moment with poisoners and true, true crime, crime related. related yes. Yeah. Yeah, not just about teabagging. <laughs> I need to research yeah. tea. It's an interesting thing, actually, uh, the access to the internet that we have at a young age now that quite a few of us, maybe younger listeners, tell us if you if if you were one of these people. But when you're quite young, you can start listening. I loved macabre things when I was younger. We didn't really have... There were true crime stories yeah. I certainly read, and there were murders and gothic tales and dark, twisted I mean, stuff. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I don't know how unusual that was for me it's, it's one thing to read the fiction and read the stories to have dr crippen as your idol or to hero this worship is true. yes this is, this is a very alarm thing. bells are ringing absolutely i mean even by the time he was in his early teens so well 12 13 years old his reading came on to the history of the nazi party Ooh. and fascination with the nazis and the sort of experiments that were carried mm. out in concentration camps and things, which were horrendous. Um, he took to wearing swastikas. Okay, okay, and now I'm seeing a, a now we're a seeing slide exactly. down in the estimations of like, oh, a little true crime is absolutely fine. Wearing swastikas. Okay, we we've gone into a place now. Now we've gone to wearing swastikas and trying to convince people that Hitler was misunderstood. And this this is still in his 12, 12 13 years old. Really? We're talking now, so incredibly young. Um, reading a hell of a lot so incredibly intelligent as well but reading terrible terrible things so we're seeing the bastardometer there is actually kind of like oh it's okay whoa, 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 uh, yeah whoa, whoa. absolutely it's rising i mean at the same time his love of books and the, the research he did took him into the occult i mean he claimed he knew about local wiccan covens and things like that which i think 13 is probably very unlikely um mm. and tried to involve local children in ceremonies that one of them reported um, involved sacrificing local cats in his Wiccan ceremonies. Anyone who's ever looked up the psychopath test, one of the earliest signs is if you're at a young age and you harm animals, you're not, you're not looking at a good life. Yeah. Not the sort of person that you want looking after your, um, your, your friends. Indeed. Why would no, a 12-year-old look after your friends? I don't know. <laughs> But as you say, I mean, today these things would set off massive alarm bells. Um, but I think in the 50s, so we're talking we're talking late 50s by now. Obviously, family life and school life, fairly formal. Um, it is very much a do do what you're told and then I'm I'm not interested. So they probably weren't paying much attention to what he was reading or what he was doing and things like that. He was just a young lad doing the best he could sort of thing in people's minds. So he was just a young lad doing the best he could while wearing a swastika. While wearing a swastika, yes. And reading and saying, Hitler was right. Yeah. This is quite close to the Second World War ending. And no alarm bells are ringing at this point. No, in the Second World War, in living memory. Um, so we're saying nothing actually, no one no one, no one picked, picked up a... on this. Or the fact that there is a child walking around with a swastika just over 10 years after the end of the Second World War. No one um, found that well, offensive. Well, I'm sure people did find it offensive. And, perhaps, and no doubt he was told to stop doing it or to the ball of 
fuck are you playing that? But it made, <laughs> it made little difference, really, to, to Graham. I mean, he continued with this behaviour. Fair enough. But when he was, was at school, his only interest really at school was chemistry. He was fascinated by it um, mm. and always wanted to go into so much more depth than the teachers probably knew um, at that age. So he took sure a lot of time to studying outside of outside of school, off his own back, going to the libraries, getting books and things. I mean, his father actually thought it was great that he had such an interest and such a passion in, in a subject that was so skillful um, and bought him a chemistry set. Was it Johnny Johnny Ball's chemistry set? Uh, I mean, I remember I had a chemistry set when I was when I was a young lad. I, I had a chemistry set. Um, it would have been Johnny Ball's chemistry set. I don't recall, Anyone who's listening who remembers Johnny Ball explains it all and his little mini chemistry set that you had <laughs> as a kid. Oh, the happy times that were spent. Never, I was shit at chemistry. I was awful at it, but it had pretty colours and you could mix them. It was very nice. Yeah, all the little vials of things and the little burner and some tongs. Um, well, actually, the interesting thing is is that for chemistry, probably his father would have encouraged it because uh, it's still, still the case now. If you are good at chemistry, if you study chemistry at a university level, it's not necessarily because you become a chemist. It's because you're going to be an investment banker because chemistry is the hardest subject. But you have proven how, how clever you are to be able to do that. So if you can do that, you can do pretty much anything. I want money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably had a good idea there. So I have two cocktails. So screw you. <laughs> So, I mean, through all his studies and his, yeah, the books he was reading and the experiments he was performing with his chemistry set, um, he was years and years ahead of his other other pupils at school. Um, I mean, he was so advanced that at 13 years old, he was able to convince a local chemist that he was 17 just because of the knowledge that he had um, about these things. And he was able to buy antimony, digitalis, arsenic and thallium at 13 years old. Primarily for, he convinced them for research and for study purposes that he was studying these chemicals um, and he needed them to complete his experiments and studies and things, that they they provided him with these chemicals. So we have not one, not two, not three, but four poisons? Four, four. Purchased from the chemist, druggist, apocryphary, man with sticks? <laughs> exactly. That I mean, that's what I would be going... I would be asking, as a chemist, what the hell is this person studying? Um, <laughs> because the only thing I could think up with is, like, murder. <laughs> so, um, a 13-year-old but... who was wearing a massive overcoat and block exactly. shoes, wandering in with a fake pipe. <laughs> Hello, for my studies at university land, I require these things. I mean, it could, it could well have been done by a letter correspondence, I don't know. Really? I don't. I, I. I don't know if it was necessarily he went into a shop because at thirteen years old, you're probably not going to convince someone you were seven. You were seventeen. Let's just let's go with it. He went into a shop. No, he went into a shop. It. He had some stilts on. He probably that jacket. Still incredible. Still, it's still incredibly skillful to be able to write, even if it was by letter, to be able to convey that knowledge how across to convince them. In- how do you write like a seventeen-year-old? Does he just write? Was he just writing? Going, hello, I was I was totally having sex with my girlfriend just now. While I decided I needed some poison for my many manly studies. Sincerely, no, just, George. Just write your your knowledge of the subject. I think you write an essay on on poison. Well, you probably write why you want chemist. it. Probably why why you want it. The reasons why you want it. What you're studying. What you're trying to achieve with your experiments this, or whatever. This sounds more like a, a, an essay competition for a twelve-year-old. Well, it, it worked. Hello, I would like these poisons for this. I think I'll be good at them. 
Please send them post haste. Thank you very much. Goodbye. That's exactly that must have been how it worked. <laughs> that must have been how it worked, I'm sure. You're so we have these right. um four poisons. So he's got these poisons. However he got them, stilts, letters, shotgun, I don't know. He got these poisons. <laughs> Let's Probably go with shotgun. shotgun. He just went in there going, I need four poisons. No questions asked at all, sir. There we are. You're a very, very strapping 17-year-old. Anyway, with his... Like some tea? Shush. <laughs> I'm on to the second martini now. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> no, I haven't started it yet. Anyway, with his new haul of chemicals, um, Young would say he was quite enthusiastic to put his experiments um, and his knowledge to the test. Well, you would. Well, exactly. He wanted he wanted to get started. Uh, his first victim was another pupil at his school, a young lad called Christopher Williams, and whose vomiting cramps and headaches um, left experts quite baffled as to to what was what was wrong with him. Um, Williams was one of the lucky ones in that his parents removed him from school, thinking that it must be something in the in the school that was causing him to be yes, so so ill. Students. But then, as Graham, he couldn't observe and study. The effects on his new victim because he wasn't there he soon lost interest oh, so literally so he was just seeing him as a case exactly he wanted to study the effects um, of these poisons in different doses different timings when he couldn't he could no longer observe he lost interest um and so because the the young lad um wasn't being continued dosed any further because he was out of school because his parents had said yes there's murderers at the school yeah. <laughs> let's just take our child out uh, he, he... there's something in the school i think it's murderous potentially yes there's murderers in the water um so, <laughs> <laughs> so thankfully christopher williams recovered sinead no, made me not <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm just murder is in the water <laughs> swimming around <laughs> Water is the greatest poison of them all. <laughs> right, where are we going from? Uh, Chris Williams. Chris Williams. I know a guy called Chris Williams. He's not dead. Neither this, is this chap. Both of them are fine. This is great. Both the of them coincidences are fine. will never cease. So Chris so Chris Williams is fine. Uh, but so Chris uh, George, finds, yeah, so William, George has lost uh, interest in him. Lost interest in that and then decided to find a, a group of subjects, you might call them for his experiments, that he had much more access to um and he chose his family oh that's cold yeah, which is which, which is cold i mean his family sh- soon started showing intermittent signs of poisoning i mean the classic symptoms we we have seen and discussed with uh, the heavy metal poisonings of thallium and antimony and things like that the stomach cramps the vomiting mm. aches and pains that they, oh, that they would get and um, how many people are in his family so he's got his father his stepmother and his elder sister i mean initially um fred uh, graham's father suspected that it was graham was doing this accidentally through his chemistry set um perhaps he wasn't washing his hands or something after he'd been doing an experiment completely innocently um and so the family were ingesting these chemicals which was making making very important lesson Um, wash your hands people if we've learned nothing from this case it is wash your hands (laughs) had nothing to do with the problems of today but also his dad oh bless his dad's faith in his son oh he's not poisoning us he's just accidentally poisoning us well that that means surely that wouldn't be the first thing you would leap to if the family's ill you're not going to first. The first assumption you have is that my son must be poisoning me. Well, no, but even so, but you're not going to suddenly go, "Oh, my son's been playing with his chemistry set and has accidentally poisoned all of us." And did he take the chemistry set away after this? No, because I mean, Graham he strenuously denied that, and his father believed him. He said, "No, I, I, 
nothing that I've got has can do that, or I've been incredibly careful. So, and his father accepted that as his he probably father's would. an idiot. I'm just going to say it. No, I, th- say... I think his father is a father. Um. <laughs> oh, that's actually quite a nice explanation. I was cruel and harsh there. You were cruel his and father's harsh. A father. Oh, he loves his son. And he wants his son to become a banker. Well, exactly. So you would not suspect that to get your, your son to do that. This is very true. This is this shows what a cold-hearted bitch I am. This really is true. This is something down. that everyone will learn very soon. To be yeah. fair, if you actually said that Django was poisoning me, my cat, I would say, don't be stupid. There's something on his paws. He's an angel. <laughs> I mean, also, I mean, Graham himself was show symptoms as well um, so and we don't know if that was a deliberate thing to try and make it look like he was also ill with the rest of the family or he had been slightly careless in the the poisons he had given his family had he actually contaminated his own food or something from the only person in the family who wasn't graham Ill. is clearly um, a very intelligent boy he's very hmm. very smart um he's obviously a psychopath and he's reckless so that there is a chance that he is mixing so much that he is still experimenting with things and would take himself as collateral damage or yeah that's that's intriguing if he is that smart he goes i'll take a little dose of something to and if he's read the uh, the stories of other poisoners some of which we've covered and some which we will go on to cover there were cases of them just going no a little of something i will take a little tonic of this because they know it won't kill them and it completely moves suspicion on from them Absolutely. Ooh, clever great i mean also i mean to us at the, at the moment, I mean, the intention, well, perhaps the intention was there, but it wasn't his goal to kill as quickly as possible. Oh. Um, he wanted to study and see and experiment. There is a definite ring right now of not so much of Dr. Crippen, but horrifically of Dr. Mengele. Well, yes, absolutely. There is exactly that. It was the study, it's the study and the research um, oh, and, yeah, is... and the wanting to know and the scientific rigour that he went through. Um to get his results oh. and things. This was this was not poisoning with the aim to kill as quickly as possible for financial gain or anything. This was purely for his own knowledge. Which results in utter torment and torture. Yeah, horrendous things. I mean, oh, his is... his sister, his elder, whose name was Winifred. Um, Winifred, great name. Good name. Um, I mean, she was, at one point, she was taken incredibly ill. Um, we're looking now in November 1961, debilitating stomach cramps, uh, vomiting, sort of diarrhea. And when she was tested in the hospital, it was found that she'd been poisoned by Belladonna. <gasps> Belladonna. Yep. So we got Belladonna. I mean, she's she survived. Um, it wasn't a, a fatal dose, but it had been going on for several several oh, weeks. God. And again, it was the experimental side of things. That's awful. But we do have Belladonna. First appearance of Belladonna. We have another poison. Do we need the Belladonna bell, perhaps? Belladonna bell. Ding, 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 that would work. Ding, ding, ding. I'm sure we can find something. Should it be a little bell, or should it be a big kind of uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame kind of bell? I, th- I think probably a relatively relatively small bell. Tiny, tiny, tinkly bell. Because Belladonna creeps into your system. Exactly. I mean, at this point, Graham's father was starting to have his suspicions. Shocking. Just about the frequency that his family were getting ill. Well, slow hand clap for Graham's dad there. <laughs> I mean... Maybe this isn't just something random and strange. Maybe this isn't entirely coincidental. That my son is sitting in a corner with a swastika rubbing his hands. I mean, you, you say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but next, next, he moved on to his stepmother, uh, Molly. Oh, God. Um, she became the, the next focus of his experiments. Um, I mean, she gradually became more and more ill. Again, the, the same sort of symptoms of the, the stomach cramps and the diarrhea and the vomiting. Um, so what are so is he still using belladonna at this stage not for this one no he's 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 jumping around all over the place um he really is experimenting with lots of different 
lots of different things until in April 1962. So only six months after um, he had started poisoning his sister, Molly, the stepmother, was found at home writhing in agony um, in in the garden uh, by by Fred, by the father, uh, with Graham just watching. Oh, God. Standing, standing by watching. Why was she in the garden? Well, I think she was sure he had been poisoning her over time and she had probably just gone into the garden to hang some laundry up or do some gardening or something. And then the, the, the sudden bout had just hit her um, and she had collapsed on the floor in agony. Um, and he's just sitting and there Graham watching. Was just, and Graham was just standing there watching and observing. It's chilling. And then she was, she was taken to hospital, but then she did die. Later that no. night, she died. I mean, at this point, I mean, no one particularly suspected poisoning. Um, her fa- the father had some suspicions. This, is, this isn't normal. But no one suspected Graham was doing this. I mean, and the, the death was put down to a, a herniated spinal bone. A what now? Herniated spinal bone. A herniated spinal bone? Yes. Well, sure, you'd be able to freaking see that. Even if you do have it, well, it sounds like a slip disc, actually. It's not going to kill you. Well, I'll say it's probably not a slip disc. Um, it's going to be a lot more severe than that. Um, but it's something, yeah, something with your spine. This is literally sounds like that, that some shit doctors just went, she's dead from some reason. She was in pain. You know what? The back gives a jip. Oh, my back. My back <laughs> really, really bothers me. You know what? That's probably what killed her. The back. That must have been it. Do you want to do an autopsy? Nah, nah. It's the back, nah. mate. It's the back. Leave it be. I mean, she was cremated soon after. Fuck. Um, what? At Graham's suggestion. That her stepson suggests that... Her stepson has suggested that she should be she should be cremated. Um, and it And it happens. Burn the bitch! So... Again, does the dad do nothing? What is he doing? What is he doing? Dad gets very ill. Oh no, come on! Yep, the dad so, is so admitted Graham to hospital. burns his wife... She's dead. Burn her. Burn her. The dad's just like, well, my son will have his ways. What? 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 This is literally a tiny, horrible, and this is meant in no disrespect, whatever, a tiny recreation of Nazi Germany. This is it. Just people are being tortured and burnt and then moved on and everyone's just denying it is happening. Pretty much. Pretty much. Oh, God. Oh, man alive. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So daddy. So now, so now father, Fred, starts to suffer as well. Shocking. So Graham, he's been through his sister, um, Winifred. He's been through his stepmother, Molly. And now it's it's Fred's turn. So Dad's sitting, Fred's sitting there in his armchair with his pipe and slippers going, well, daughter's not here. Wife's not here. It's just my son in the corner rocking back and forth, glaring at me, sipping from a teacup. Ah, it's probably nothing. Youth. Youth, exactly. It's the follies of youth. But when is Fred is um, yeah admitted to hospital and discovered to be suffering from antimony poisoning. No. Yes. Yes, indeed. Oh. See, antimony, clever, clever. You've had that before. But, I mean, he still refused to believe that his son was responsible. It's sad. I mean, despite all the, the horrors that had been visited upon the family, he still refused to believe that Graham could be responsible for these horrifying um, incidents. What have we always said, Nick? What have we always said? Your loved ones are trying to kill you. Well, in this case, it is the absolute truth. <laughs> absolute truth. There, there is a reason. There's a reason why yeah. we say this. We're not just messing about here. No, no, indeed. There's documented evidence. Yeah. So, I mean, it was. It came down to his to his chemistry teacher at school um, who contacted the police when he discovered vials of poison um, in Graham's school desk. What? 
uh, imagining they would have had the wooden school desk with like, the lift-up lid. With the inkwell that's filled um, with arsenic. <laughs> which is potentially filled <laughs> with arsenic. But the, yeah, his chemistry teacher discovers poisons. Yeah, he goes up to George and says, yes, your desk is bubbling quite yes. substantially. <laughs> your desk is dissolved. What's going on? People come near uh, it and they faint. <laughs> so, I mean, he also discovers his, his notebooks as well, his journals, Ooh. that detail the experiments. Oh, shut up. That is, no, no, absolutely. Um, that he's actually been taking his notes, his scientific uh, recording the results of his experiments. So, yeah, so the teacher contacts the police. Thankfully, at long last, someone Thankfully, has realised. someone has. It's in there, and a young was sent to a, a police psychiatrist, and his encyclopedic knowledge of poison and chemistry really rang incredibly loud alarm bells. <laughs> someone has seen sense at this point. Someone has someone has seen sense, and seen also the way Graham behaves. Mm. He's so incredibly confident of his own skills and his own abilities. And he admits to poisoning his father, um, and he admits to poisoning his sister um, and his school friend, Christopher. He does not admit to poisoning his stepmother, who was the only person who had died as a result of his his poisoning. Um, And because she had been cremated, nothing could be proven with that. So he could not be tried for murder. It's a very methodical way of approaching things, isn't it? It's an incredibly calculated, detailed way of approaching it. There are probably plenty of people listening to this who would draw certain conclusions about maybe some of the learning difficulties that George had, that he is not showing any empathy with any of these people. And he's being very methodical in that sense of like, no, I have not killed this person, but I did experiments, but they're still alive. And that's fine, apparently. And whether he has any caring or feeling for them, but he's not... Go- I mean, he could be a criminal mastermind just going, no, 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 I did these things and they're absolutely fine. It could be, well, you know, I poisoned them, but that's not a crime, is it? Well, it is a crime. Obviously. Attempted murder. Unless he reasons that he did not intend to kill them. This was all experimentation. I mean, that's not something that, not that I'm aware of that he used. But I mean, I mean, anyway, I mean, after these interviews, he was actually committed to Broadmoor. Ooh, very famous. Broadmoor, incredibly famous. I mean, is the oldest of the three high security psychiatric hospitals in england founded in 1863 um, and still going strong today i've never actually read anything about broadmoor i know it's it's so synonymous with the, the really interesting cases you know kind of broadmoor has this mysticism about it but you say they were sent to broadmoor and you think must be serious broadmoor it's like it's got this really oh absolutely yeah has background a... to it. i mean but graham would say he was committed there for they said a minimum of 15 years he is 14 years old he's 14 at this point He's he's only fourteen years. Whoa, 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 whoa! We did not even cover that. I mean, I was assuming that this was over some time. I I thought he was like eighteen. Or that. He's fourteen. He's fourteen years old at this point. <laughs> All this is such a in such a confined space of time. He's the youngest person to be admitted to Broadway, locked up in Broadmoor since the eighteen eighties. I'd no idea that he was 14. I always assumed that he was an adult. I mean, being locked up at such a young age um, didn't really dampen Graham's enthusiasm um, for experimentation and the the scientific method. Uh, Within a couple of weeks of his arrival, um, another inmate, a guy named John Berish, had died from cyanide poisoning. And this is in Broadmoor. Where did he get cyanide? Did his dad send it to him? No, I mean, Graham claimed that he had extracted cyanide from laurel bush leaves. Fuck off. Which is actually, because I googled it, is actually possible. The laurel bush leaves are incredibly poisonous and contain cyanide. Oh, shut up. So it would have been possible. Oh, shut up, Graham. No. The, the, the authorities did not believe him. No, I don't believe him but, either. That's a kind of shitty, kind of big dick swinging kind of thing. Exactly oh, so. I extracted it from Lara Bushes because I'm Graham Young. 
Fuck you, Graham. I mean, the authorities didn't believe him. They didn't believe that he could have done this. Um, he certainly probably had the skills needed, but he didn't have the equipment. And uh, the death was put down to suicide. But we don't we don't know the truth. I mean, I suspect it probably wasn't him. And he just claimed this for the, the glory and the, the reputation it would it would give him. He does sound like that sort of person, isn't it? Because Oh, completely. Well, maybe they just didn't want to give him the credit for it. Or, or he was just walking around and the person had died for whatever reason. Or he killed himself. And he is that much of an egotist and absolute psychopath he's going no i did it i did it because uh, just to show off that he knew about laurel bushes yeah i mean so i don't even if he had done it i don't think authorities would have believed that he was capable of it at 14 years old that he was he was that clever that he was that intelligent that he could have done this i mean i don't think anyone believed that it was possible so i mean on another occasion that was reported there was a, a tea urn again desperately British, um, a tea urn that was used by inmates and staff, um, and it was found to have been tampered with. Um, sugar soap had been Ooh. added um, to the to the tea. I mean, sugar soap is a, um, a cleaning ingredient used in building, and thankfully it was discovered because it would have resulted in a huge poisoning throughout um, the and hospital. So they attri- but they attribute this to Graham? He, he hinted that he was responsible for Yes, but anyone could have done that. Well, precisely. I mean, any, anyone could have done that. It could have been a simple mistake. It's also a common um, trait in certain people, other psychopaths and other people with, with obviously with severe mental disorders. They admit to crimes that they haven't committed because they, they generally want the attention. Absolutely. They want the notoriety. They are just that obsessed. Well, quite. We've moved slightly across to the late, the late 60s. Doctors were still relatively oblivious to his continued fascination with poison although he did make an effort to keep it more subtle and more hidden um when it was pointed out that if he appeared less obsessed he might get out a bit earlier oh really and then in june of 1970 his doctors proclaimed him cured um he celebrated this release by telling one of his psychiatric nurses that he planned to kill one person for every year that he had been in broadmoor <laughs> and this was noted in his file okay this was written in and? his file and made no difference to his release at all jesus christ made, made no change on the decision um and he was then released 4th of february 1971 23 years old so so he's out and his obsessions are just as strong as ever perhaps even more so as he hasn't had the opportunity to, to carry out what he wants to do but saying that i mean during his time at broadmoor he had kept in touch with his sister um his father was less forgiving and refused to have anything more finally to do he took to visiting the scenes of his old crimes so going back to visit the house that they used to live in and he took great delight when neighbors would recognize him he took exceptional delight in um in this the fear that he instilled in these people he was staying in a hospital in a hostel after his release um and he regularly made trips into london to stock up on the antimony and the thallium that he needed to continue his experience i mean at this point these these particular poisons mean weren't regulated um a thallium had never been used as a poison before it was used primarily in the photographic industry yeah it was not considered um a poison antimony could be poisonous in the right dosage but even in the 60s, 70s, people have not learned. People have not learned. How many cases of antimony have we had? How many cases, people? <laughs> God but it's, damn it's it! Still out. It's, it's, it's still out there. 
Um, and it wasn't long before one of the fellow residents at the hostel, um, a guy called Trevor Sparks. That's Sparksy. Yeah, old Sparksy. Old, old Sparksy. Sparksy. He soon discovered the familiar cramps, the vomiting, the sickness that often accompanied any proximity to Graham Young. The general murdering. The general, the general murdering. Yeah, the symptoms of the murdering people. Unfortunately, meaning he wasn't killed, Young moved away and moved to Hertfordshire, where he found work at John Handland Laboratories, <laughs> which was a, a photographic supply company where thallium was in great supply. He, he worked there as a general labourer, nothing, not a skilled role. I mean, his new employers were aware that Graham had been in Broadmoor. They were not aware of his history of poisoning. Sure. If they, if they had been, they may have been a bit more wary when he offered to make the tea. <laughs> um, <laughs> They were finally like, you've been in Broadmoor, come on in, come in. What did you do? Don't want to know. Don't, oh, surprise us. Surprise, surprise us. us. Surprise. There's a tea rotor over there <laughs> and there's an axe collection over there. Do your worst, mate. There we go. <laughs> Bloody hell. It was, it was much, much like that. Much as I am in favour, I am in favour for offender uh, rehabilitation. However, however, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so so his, the, his reputation had not preceded him on this uh, this occasion. I was a cleaner. As, as a cleaner. I made tea. <laughs> I'm very good at it. It was very, it was very, very good. Very thorough. So his, his boss soon began to experience the familiar cramps, dizziness, vomiting, diarrhea. But th- this time it was attributed to a local bug, a local that had been doing the rounds in the area. Other workers in the factory uh, or the warehouse also complained of similar symptoms. And most of them, recovered eventually especially when they were off work <laughs> they started to get better okay but they went back to work started to feel a bit poorly again i'm not trying to just watch the cricket seriously i'm dying uh bob was eventually admitted to, to hospital um and he died in absolute agony in july 1971 oh, well if he's got thallium and antimony in him that's that's not a better death. This this time, his death was recorded as pneumonia. It was the bug that had been doing the rounds violently. The symptoms were pretty similar, and he died. Not 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 symptoms that you you normally associate with pneumonia. Obviously, it affects yeah. people in different ways. But people are just being so blasé about. Yeah, fine, it's no problem. I mean... it's this guy who was there it was in Broadmoor. Can't <laughs> have anything to do with it. Was the doctor the father by any chance? September that year. Another employee at Hadfield, um, beginning to suffer similar symptoms, violent symptoms, as Bob had been. When this second person became down so violently ill, um, it was thought, okay, perhaps there's something in the building. Perhaps there's a, a leak from one of the chemicals that we use for the photography, and they the they investigated, tried to find out what the cause was, but they weren't able to find anything with the environmental in the building and to be fair in a large building you would automatically go to people are getting sick what is it that's wrong in the in the building rather than why is someone killing us so this second employee a guy named Biggs, was eventually admitted to hospital and died a month later in hospital and so this second death of the firm caused absolute panic amongst the amongst the staff there they had over 70 employees um and over three quarters of them had reported similar symptoms, not as violent, but similar symptoms over the past few months. Doctors were brought on the site to try and reassure the staff that there, w- there was nothing dangerous. There, was, there wasn't chemical spills. There wasn't contamination. It had been investigated. All the health and safety regulations were being followed. But then it came as a surprise to the doctors when 
Graham Young challenged them in front of the group of workers, the group of his colleagues there, and asked the doctors why thallium poisoning hadn't been considered um, <laughs> as a as a reason for these illnesses, considering that thallium was all around them. They used it every day. Just the the need, the need for attention, the, the need, need for, for attention, the need exactly overtakes him just itching kind and you would i think at that point no i'm not saying you would but you can imagine if you're standing there going (laughs) i've poisoned everyone with thallium and if they've just been going "Hmm, it's nothing in the electric it's nothing in the gas no and you're like seriously it's been months so like thallium thallium for god's sake look at the thallium (laughs) it was me it wasn't (laughs) lies i did it all (laughs) the doctors were amazed and incredibly surprised that this young man's in-depth knowledge of the of the chemistry and the toxicology. In fact, um, he was holding a teacup and twirling a moustache. He was hiding out. <laughs> exactly. Big so. top hat. <laughs> Dead giveaway. Essentially. <laughs> um, and they brought it to the attention of the management of the company, who then alerted the police to say, oh, Jesus this Christ. is what happened. This guy has obviously got this incredible knowledge. The police eventually found evidence of thallium poisoning in the two employees who had previously previously died so wait, 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 wait. he has turned himself in he's basically well, he's, stood he's, up no. and said thallium thallium but children he he's he suggested that why don't you look at thallium thallium's it's, that's there's an omission of, of guilt i'm sorry that's an omission of guilt no i don't think it is i think it's yeah he no doubt he wanted people to know how clever he was if you're the fucking murderer then shouting out thallium is pretty much a red flag yeah, I said I no, I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> he, if you're killing someone, rule number one: don't shout out how you did it. While exactly. So why to would you do it? So so why so if that okay, with that you, logic? You know what? The double bluff never works. The double bluff never works. It's not like he's standing there with the greatest double bluff ever, going, "Look at thallium. That could be the reason." If you're the murderer, shut the fuck up. That's all you have to do. No, no. Yeah, but he wouldn't do that. That's he was far I mean, too is arrogant. That he is for, insane. For that. He he must he must have the recognition that he how smart Indeed. how smart he is. So the police start the investigation. They find out yeah the two employees were killed by deliberate thallium poisoning. And then they started looking at Graham Young. The reasons for his original incarceration in Broadmoor um, came came to light. After they had done a search of his, his lodgings, his hostel where he was staying, they discovered his notebooks, where again, he had been recording the results of his experiments. Um, he detailed times and doses of the different chemicals that he had given each individual person. Um, he had noted the reactions and he even made a note of whether he intended that they would live or die at the end Ugh. of his experiments. Um, oh, that's cool. Talk about pre-planned and premeditated. There's nothing more than having it written down. This man is going to die on this date. I mean, he's it's it's on a plate, really. This is a man who is absolutely happy to be caught. He made one last attempt to reconnect with his father before he was arrested. Um, and he was arrested in Sheerness. Kent! In Kent. Where we live. Which is, live which in is Kent, in 25 England. miles from where we are now. Um, <laughs> and it's a dark and terrible place. It's a dark place, and terrible place. And I mean, when he was arrested, they found thallium on his person when he was arrested. They searched him in his pockets and they found a vial of thallium. And um, he was, was he on his way to see his dad? He was trying to see his father. So no. take from that what you will. You don't know. Did he just have no. it because he enjoyed having it? Was he intending to try and... <laughs> I never go anywhere without my thallium. 
Don't, One uh, should always have something poisonous on the train. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, when he was being questioned by the police, um, he freely admitted to the two po- or all the poisonings at Hadland. Mm. Um, but he would refuse to sign anything. Um, he refused to, to sign any written confession. Just wanted it Main... to be known, but then wouldn't didn't want to be punished. Because if he had signed something, it would have been an easy trial. He wouldn't have had the notoriety. He wouldn't have had the recognition <gasps> of a trial. He wanted the show trial. He wanted the show trial. He wanted everyone to know what he had done, how clever he had been. The trial started in June 1972. He was charged with two counts of murder two counts of attempted murder and two counts of administering poison he pleaded not guilty why who knows um to prolong the case the longer it was in court the more recognition he would get he knew that his previous conviction of Prambormo couldn't be used as evidence you couldn't say oh he did this before therefore he must have done it now but what he hadn't done was consider the advances in Science means forensic science. Since uh, a common those, those folly days, of which our ha- exactly has been a common common mistake. Nor had he considered that he, the excerpts that were read from his notebooks um, would have had such a profound effect on the the jury. Um, really, to, to, I think. Well, no, I, I think to, I think to him they were research notes. That's the, they were ah, simple notes, simple uh, results of an experiment. If you have no empathy and if you have no sympathy, if you're that kind of psychopath and he wouldn't expect anyone to get upset or feel emotion about them, he's saying, no, I'm just using them as an experiment. And of course, yeah. Exactly. exactly. So he did not anticipate that the jury would be so horrified. The trial, t- still, it took 10 days um, for the trial, but he was convicted on all charges. Unsurprisingly, with the evidence that had stacked up against him. Ten days, um, they just wanted to be sequestered and just get all the free food, basically. Potentially. <laughs> be sequestered. Maybe, maybe so. Free, free, free food, free TV, free willy. Even during that time, I mean, the media had really picked up on the case. The past, his time at Broadmoor, the reasons why, had all been dragged into the open in the, in the press. He had been given, at this point, the Subriquet, the teacup poisoner, from as he had poisoned tea urns at work and things and he was making the tea and that's how he poisoned his bosses and his colleagues at work through their teas and coffees oh okay fair enough the the super grade the teacup poisoner um, i was gonna say because where was where was the teacup poisoner from how did he feel about that he hated it he absolutely hated it um he thought it was so beneath his skill (laughs) um, and his expertise i mean he suggested that perhaps world poisoner was a more appropriate um, title. That's a shit title. Uh, and I'm would sorry. have been much more, much more, much more suitable. That's not imaginative, though, is it? I mean, teacup no, poison, poisoner well. is is beautiful in terms of a of a name. I mean, you're never going to forget that teacup poisoner sounds very quaint. It sounds very, and even I am going like teacup poisoner. Really, he's just a massive poisoner. But if he's poisoning people by the tea, lovely, evocative, poetic. Him just going world poisoner. That sounds like earth poisoner. Glo- exactly. Man poisoner. Poisoner of men. Um, no no one said he was an imaginative man. No, he's just shit. Uh, <laughs> what, one good thing that came out of this, I mean, his conviction, the revelation of his previous release from Broadmoor, the comments that he had made about killing one mm. person for every, every, year. Um, every year he had been in Broadmoor, all came to light and people were thinking, well, why the fuck was he released in the first place? So fortunately that triggered a huge review 
of the the systems, As you would which have... is probably which exactly was for for the for the best. Right, so so Young was incarcerated at the maximum security Parkhurst Prison on the Isle of Wight, um, which was the home of Britain's most serious horrible criminals. Um, here, while at Parkhurst, he befriended Moore's murderer Ian Brady. Oh God! Not a not good company to keep. They spent oh. a lot of time playing chess. Oh, um, I don't want to hear this. And, and bonding Ugh. over their fascination with, with Nazi Germany. Ugh. One of his most happy days um, was when he found out that he had uh, been added to the Chamber of Horrors in Madame Tussauds. <laughs> um, and stood alongside his hero, Dr. Crippen. Finally, the, the two were united. The two were united. Um, and he was overjoyed at achieving that level of notoriety that he was compared to Dr. Crippen. He he died in prison. The 1st of, first of August, 1990, aged 42 years old. Um, the cause of death officially was heart failure, um, although there were rumours that he simply grew tired of prison life um, and poisoned himself. By, by um, eating a laurel in, bush, they take in, by, by eating a laurel bush, by doing something, but or just a, boiling a final, down his bed and turning that into antimony, is that you know, a final know. moment of con- control? You know what? Good. What a story. What a story. A what a poisoner. Despicable, despicable man. Um, oh, the bastardometer is off the chain. On this is one. off the charts. Absolutely. This is that is the highest level of bastardometer <laughs> I think that it's ever gone. It's out the door. It's yes, out the door. Absolutely. It's off the wall. It's I mean, there is there is no door. passion or find doing this for financial gain or doing this for yeah for love or revenge or anything like that just absolute cruelty and horror a true psychopath with everything that we've been talked about you know as much as we've laughed and joked and as because you have to at these sorts of cases you know real people have been killed and affected which is horrific i think that final that final image of him playing chess with ian brady is just absolutely sickening and this is the very reason why we don't hear a worship or want to hear a worship and say oh this is an awesome serial killer or anything like that it's 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 absolutely horrifying the use of poison is very interesting yeah there's oh it leaves a bad taste in your mouth much like that cocktail i made (laughs) earlier on much like tea and that and tea and everything (laughs) tea is evil apparently i quite like tea that's quite right. Never take tea from a crazy stranger who comes into your office going, <laughs> hello, I was at Broadmoor. Why? No reason. Do you? So Graham Young, oh, what a horrible case. But one of the biggies. One of the biggies. So everyone, what do you think of the case of Graham Young? Seriously high on the bastardometer. I think he's broken it, actually, as a gauge of a uh, horrible, horrible person. Fascinating yep. in so many ways all the uses of poison he's used many poisons in this some of which we haven't discussed in detail but we will because we want to come on to certain cases where they're in use we've got some incredible historic poisonings coming up some that are closer to home some that go way back in history but so many more stories to tell um if you like what you have heard today hopefully maybe you're listening to this for the first time if so hi welcome hope you're keeping safe please if you haven't already Follow us on all the social media channels. Makes such a difference to us. We're very prolific on Instagram at the Poisoners Cabinet. We also are on Facebook. Uh, we can start, a, uh, might start a Facebook group soon. If people have got an appetite for us for that, um, please message us. Uh, and that means there's a group, and you can post whatever you want in there, and you can all have a chat and keep together in these troubled times. We're on Twitter at the Poisoners Cab. 
Um, please leave us reviews. If you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, please, 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 please leave us a review. Even if you don't listen to it on Apple Podcasts, if you can have access to an iPad, an iPhone, anything, leaving those reviews makes such a difference. Please just jump on write a few words we so appreciate it and we will love you forever some people have left such beautiful words for us and it really really means so much um chat to us obviously if you're in isolation if you're bored jump on jump on the questions uh and if you'd like to see more of us in these uh quite long long weeks of uh quarantine um tell us what we can do we're going to try and do a few more videos for you we'll do some live chats we'll make some cocktails we'll we'll just generally be 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 cool yeah maybe nick will show you his array of waistcoats that he's made <laughs> I'm sensing not not enthusiastic. Oh, I don't know if they're. I don't. I don't know <laughs> if we're there. Don't just know yet. each other just yet that I can show you my waistcoats. We don't know <laughs> yeah. each other that well. It's more of a it's more of a seven stage kind of thing. <laughs> so we have been, as ever, the people inside the poisonous cabinet. Take care, stay safe, and remember, your loved ones are trying to kill you. Bye. Oh,